Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi, friend, and welcome to the podcast this week. Um, this week, I have Dr. Sheetal Ajmani on the podcast. We had a great time. She is a physician, a best-selling author, the host of her own podcast called Essential Self-Care. She's also the founder of Radiant Living Institute, where she guides people to get unstuck and live radiantly again. I loved my conversation with Dr. Sheetal. She was so enthusiastic. Um, we had so much in common. She's a yogi and um, for a long time, really, as long as she has been a physician, she has been looking into how to do that wholeheartedly, how to blend ancient wisdom with um, Western medicine. And uh, I just love the conversation. So I hope that you enjoy it too. Here we go. Hi, friend, and welcome again to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. I am your host, Dr. Evine Banish, and I'm really excited today to have a conversation with Dr. Sheetal Ajmani. Um, Dr. Sheetal is someone who I met um, on a mutual, like on a, a Facebook group for female physicians. And when I kind of investigated her and read about her, I think she's just a soul friend. We we have a lot in common. So she is a physician and a yogi and an Ayurvedic practitioner, among many other things. And so I'm really excited to have a conversation with her today. Sheetha, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, me. And I agree completely. I felt the same way when we connected. I think it's so wonderful to recognize um, that this work of living a balanced life and sometimes going back to ancient practices um, is rising even in that female physician community. Cause I really do think so many women who are physicians really went into it with a healer's heart. And sometimes we have to backtrack a little bit from the way we were trained and, and add other modalities or find new ways of, of being. And so um, I am just always touched and tickled when I find someone on a similar journey. So, um, I would love if you would kind of, um, just tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us how you went from, you know, Western trained physician to, to what you're currently doing and why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of it has to do with what you just shared. Actually, I think a part of, you know, many of us who went into medicine and with this healer's heart, as you described it, you know, on this journey have had to find paths of healing for ourselves as well. And that's very much my story and my journey as well. So I actually discovered yoga my first year of medical school. And now this was at the time of this recording a little over two decades ago, which is hard to believe, but that's when I first discovered yoga. And I had just started taking yoga classes at the local gym and I discovered a piece within myself that I had never experienced before. And I was hooked, you know, it was a Friday evening yoga class 
And so when all of my friends and med school classmates were going to happy hour, it was a Friday, 5 p.m. class. I said, no, I want to go to my yoga class. And it was just this piece that I had never experienced before. And it was my first semester of medical school. And it became this thing that I personally turned to over the years through the various ups and downs and stressors and challenges, all, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally of going through medical school, going through residency. And it was also that first semester of medical school that I heard about Ayurveda. I didn't know much about it. Uh, I just kind of heard of what it is. Uh, Basically, actually, I'll, I'll share this story. I was, you know, I'm very close to my mom. And so I would, you know, call my mom. We talk almost every day. And I was just telling her about the things I was learning in med school. And so the first semester, you know, we were learning how to t- check vital signs. And so I told her that. And I said, yeah, we're learning to check the pulse. And she was like, well, what are you learning about the pulse? I was like, you know, just to check, just to count it. <laughs> right. And then she told me that there's actually doctors and medical practitioners in India who are able to tell what is going on specifically within specific organs in your body solely through checking your pulse. And that was Ayurveda. And that was my first introduction to just this idea of what Ayurveda is. And a seed was planted. I didn't know much other than that at that point, Uh, but a seed was planted. And I knew that once I completed my formal medical allopathic medical training that I would want to complete studies in yoga and Ayurveda as well. And so that's exactly what I did. I leaned on these tools to whatever extent I knew about and could during my training for myself, for my own um, healing and finding balance and alignment through the rigors of medical training. And then when I completed training, I went on to do a 200-hour yoga certification program Through that, I also um, became acquainted with a couple of Ayurveda teachers locally, and I started taking Ayurveda workshops. And my journey continued. A few years later, I completed a 300-hour yoga certification. I completed a Ayurveda lifestyle consultant certification program. And all the while, just integrating these tools and practices in my own life, all the while leaning into them as I personally also faced many other sorts of challenges just in my professional life as well as personal life and really began to integrate and lean on these tools myself and experienced firsthand how powerful they were. And then of course, being the scientist and physician that I am, found that over the years started to discover as there's more interest in these practices in our Western world as well, that there's a lot of research and modern scientific evidence also backing up these practices, which I just find fascinating because these practices of yoga and Ayurveda, as you know, are over 5,000 years old. So my first Ayurvedic teacher was actually also an allopathic physician who went on to study Ayurveda. And so he always said that, you know, Ayurveda, yoga, these practices are practice-based evidence, meaning they've just been in practice for thousands and thousands of years. And that is the evidence (laughs) 
Never <laughs> heard that before. And that evidence. is so yeah. great. Yeah. And then Western medicine is evidence-based practice. And what I love about the, just the time and the age that we're in right now is that we have all of that right now, uh, supporting these practices, which I think is really, really cool. So kind of continuing that story of kind of how that brought me to where I am now. So I, oh, as, as I know, as I explained, I always knew that I wanted to dive deeper into these practices. And so then, um, all of that has led to the evolution of what is now Radiant Living Institute. And so with Radiant Living Institute, what I'm doing is I'm guiding people to get unstuck and learn to live radiantly again. And I've really combined the past two decades of personal and professional exploration of these Eastern and Western modalities of healing and well-being and recovery to create my unique approach um, through coaching and uh offering classes and workshops and speaking engagements and my podcast, really just sharing this message and this ancient wisdom, as well as modern tools um, with the world. I love that. Um, yeah, it's really amazing how um, we can arrive somewhere after a journey. You know, it sounds like that's what you've been on and um, that we come to a moment where um, like we've we've taken in enough, we've integrated enough, and then it's time to offer and, and be of service to others. Not that you haven't been doing that for two decades, but it's, I just love when sort of something comes full circle and it's time to share it. Um, I love in your, on your website, how you talk about, and this is so highlighted in Ayurveda, and it's something that I think um, can benefit people to talk about is how um, our daily routines and, and habits really shape us. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of modern talk about that, you know, like get up at 4am and do all these things that can sometimes feel fairly harsh and um, depleting, but it, I've always found like in the Ayurvedic sense, um, it's very nourishing. And so can you talk a little bit about the importance for people of daily routine? Absolutely. So there's a word in Ayurveda for that, and that is dinacharya. And that's a Sanskrit word. And basically it means daily routine. And it's a big part of Ayurveda. It's a big part that I have um, really incorporated into my life. Like it's really just a way of being for me right now. And, but it took time, right? And so I, I like how you describe that kind of, there is this modern portrayal of it that can be very harsh and very regimented. And you know, I always say self-care, your daily routines, these practices, they're not meant to be another chore on your to-do list. They're not meant to be something that you, you know, feel guilty about not getting to. They're really meant to be nourishing, to be supportive, to help you feel your best. So if it's not doing that, if it becomes something else that just feels very regimented, that feels like a chore, then that's not really um, serving you. Mm -hmm. And the point of all of this is, to help you feel your best and to be nourishing. And the other wonderful thing that Ayurveda talks about that takes into account when creating your daily habits, your daily routines, is that we are all individual. And so what works for one person may not work for you. What works for you may not work for your significant other. And Ayurveda gives us a space and a framework to really honor that which I find to be so beautiful. It gives us the space to honor that we are all individual and unique beings. And it gives us a big toolbox to work from and to choose from, right? And so 
The other thing that I always say in my offerings and programs and when I'm working with clients is that small changes make a large impact. So, you know, you can look at, and if you, you know, really kind of start diving deeper into Ayurveda, there is a a long list (laughs) and it can be, feel overwhelming maybe in the beginning to think, oh goodness, I'm supposed to do all of this. But what it is, is small changes make a large impact. What I would say is kind of all that you hear about in the wellness world, in Ayurveda, in, in whichever framework you look at, choose one thing, the smallest thing that resonates with you now, and just work with that first. Mm-hmm. And work with just integrating that into your daily life for maybe two to three weeks. You know, it said that it takes about th- three weeks, 21 days to create a habit. So just work with it for two to three weeks and notice how you feel. So another thing that I always say is become, a, and that Ayurveda talks about is really becoming a student of your own life. Like notice how it feels within your body, within your mind, within your emotions. And if you're finding benefit from it, great. That will automatically become the fuel, the momentum to propel you forward, to continue to engage in that activity as a daily habit and for it to start to become part of your routine. And if you find that it isn't serving you, know that that's okay. There's no right or wrong. There's no, you know, just because it's working for one person doesn't mean that it's going to work for you in the same way. And that is okay. And please, you know, just give yourself that space and that permission to honor that and then say, well, there's lots of tools in this tool, in a tool in this toolbox that I can turn towards or I can try. And again, that's where, you know, working with a guide can can sometimes be helpful um, to kind of help you navigate that. But I think a big part of it is just knowing kind of key concepts, key takeaways here is just that thinking about these practices and daily routines as um, being nourishing. And if it's not nourishing and it's not serving you, then maybe it's just time to look at it in a different way or work with a guide um, so that it's not feeling like a chore or something regimented and harsh and that you're making yourself um, feel guilty about or you know, putting some self-judgment because a big part of all of this is also self-compassion. Right. And that's a big part of Ayurveda as well. And so just um, finding compassion for ourselves on this journey Well, and I love what you said earlier, like that back in medical school, there was a moment where you kind of had a knowing that instead of going to happy hour at five o'clock, you're, you'd be better served going to yoga. Um, And for someone else, it might be the flip side, like an introvert who's really lonely going and spending time with other people might be what they need. So what I also find really interesting in my much more limited experience with Ayurveda is this truth that like, sometimes the medicine we need is we have to almost dig and find fire within ourselves to actually do it (laughs) because right. It might've been easier for you that day to just all your friends wanted you to go out and, but you, you made this choice and it impacted, it may have impacted a large trajectory. I mean, it's so interesting how you remember that even 20 odd years later. So can you talk to that a little bit that sometimes I think self-care is so like, it's like spa day and, but sometimes it's kind of like pushing yourself to do what you know is going to be, it's, you know, it's what the medicine that you need right now, even if it's not say the easiest choice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know, um, you know, 
currently and in like in popular media, self-care is often depicted as exactly like what you said, you know, the spa days. And it's kind of like, if you're not able to take a whole day for yourself or a whole two hours to, to go to that yoga class, right. Um, then you're not practicing self-care. And that's where, again, it can kind of end up being this like to do and start to feel like a chore. Um, but what, you know, I think to answer your question, a big part of that was just knowing and reflecting on how I feel when I went to that yoga class, right? And knowing how that positively affected how I felt mentally, physically, emotionally, um, not just that day, but that that carried over into my whole week, you know? And that's where when you start to reflect on and notice and take that time to just pause and notice how you feel when you engage in this activity, that can often be the motivation to continue to make those hard choices, knowing the benefits that you have personally felt and experienced in your own life. Yeah. And I think that's, that sounds easy, but sometimes if you're going like you know, 90 miles an hour with your career and your children and all of the, the, um, roles that a lot of people play in their life. Sometimes that self-reflection of like, even noticing, wow, I felt better when I did this. I felt lousy when I did that. We miss that completely because we're just so forward focused. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, so I've created a six step method actually that, that I guide my clients through and, and that I have as a program, it's called reclaim your radiance. And the six step method is actually where I've taken what I have found to be the most powerful tools from these Eastern and Western modalities um, and put them together into the six steps. Um, and I found them to be one, the most powerful and two, also kind of the sort of simplest, you could say, way to get started. And part of that, the first step actually is what's called taking inventory. And so it's taking these moments in your life uh, where you take a moment, an intentional moment to pause and reflect on like, what does my life look like right now? How am I feeling right now? How do I want that to be? How do I want to feel? And I really, I guide clients through a very detailed process with that of taking inventory. But the concept of that really is taking these moments in time, these intentional pauses in time, and not necessarily every day in terms of the taking inventory part, that could be maybe every new year or every year on your birthday or, you know, every quarter, right? Whatever works and fits with your schedule, but at some level of consistency, again, even if that's once a year to just pause and check in with that. And then the second part of my six-step method and program is creating empowering daily routines. And the idea with that is to tap into that clarity to take that moment to pause and to connect within on a regular basis. And when I say that, it doesn't have to be this whole long drawn out two hour thing. Not at all. <laughs> it can it can be that if your time, if your schedule allows for it, that's wonderful. But it doesn't have to be that because just like you said, we do live in this sort of really busy modern lifestyle. And so it can be even a minute. It could be a minute while you drink your tea or your coffee in the morning that instead of drinking your tea or coffee while scrolling your phone, you take that time to just be, 
be with your tea, be with your coffee, be in that moment of stillness and allow that to be a space to just connect with yourself. Um, And that can be your pause, right? It can be a minute. And what's really beautiful about all of these practices is that they really do have a cumulative effect. So a minute a day really does add up and it really does add up in terms of how you feel. And, you know, I'll share this story as well of when I first started meditating. So I first, you know, I started practicing yoga when I was in medical school, but I first started like a sit down meditation practice when I went through my first yoga teacher training. And it was over a few months period. And part of our homework was to meditate at home for 15 minutes a day. And they gave us a calendar and we had to check off each day that we did it. And of course, being, you know, the recovering perfectionist that I am, I really wanted to make sure I checked off every single day. Not the gold star. Absolutely. (laughs) Even though they weren't really checking it, they they weren't even looking at it. (laughs) But it was our assignment. And so I was going to do it. And it was hard. Like 15 minutes was so hard. And so in the beginning, I was like, like, I just... I couldn't do it. So I was like, you know, let me start with five instead. Let me just start with five and work my way up. And so every morning I would set my timer for five minutes and it was really, really hard. Like I would look at my watch and kind of open my eyes and it would be like two minutes had passed. I'd be like, oh my goodness, that felt like forever. And um, so it was really hard. And so I was really truly starting with between two to five minutes, right? But even with that, on the days that I missed it, that I didn't do it, I noticed I felt different than the days that I did take those minutes. And I'm talking two to five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this with many of the clients when I've shared this story with them and they've taken this to practice it on their own too. They're like, wow, you know, I didn't realize it really does only take two minutes for me to notice a difference. And I noticed this difference all day. And so just to really reiterate that it can be just a moment of pausing and connecting with yourself. That's such a beautiful story and a reminder that, um, you know, in meditative research that any time spent in meditation dials down the default mode network, right? Which is in, in the part of the brain that is usually, I like to talk about like all the files I have open in my head and that it it dials it down for hours, like to the, for the rest of the day. So, so that I love that reminder that it's not, it is cumulative and it's, it's a benefit because it is kind of sitting for, for a beginner and someone who has a super active mind. Um, it can be sitting in the fire, right? So it's, it, I love that you share that it's not all like bliss and, you know, you're just not zoning out. It's sometimes it's really hard to sit with ourselves, um, when we're not used to that, but that it does have these benefits that are far reaching. And, um, and so again, it's like one of those medicines that's worth the effort. Yeah, absolutely. And while we are on this topic and talking about meditation and finding those moments to pause and be still, I also want to share, you know, one thing that I hear often is, well, I can't do that because my mind is always racing. I can't shut off my mind. And so just, you know, for anyone listening right now, just knowing that one, that's normal, (laughs) that is human nature. And two, knowing that this moment to pause, or if you are wanting to start a practice of meditation, 
that the goal isn't necessarily to stop all your thoughts, actually. It is that we, you know, meditation is a practice of focus and concentration. So when it's a practice, the practice is of focus and concentration so that those thoughts will come. That's normal. But without judgment, just observing those thoughts and then gently guiding your attention and your awareness to something else that you intentionally choose to focus on. And so that can be your breath. That could be your cup of tea. That could be a tree that you're looking at outside. And that's the practice. So just for those of you who, and, you know, I thought of this because you had mentioned kind of having those, that racing mind, those racing thoughts. Um, And I often see that as a common obstacle of people turning to this practice. The other thing that I hear often is that when, um, when people sit to take that moment to pause, they are surprised sometimes that things that they haven't thought about in a while or maybe different to-dos on their chore list just start to come to mind. And I want to just mention that that's also very normal because we do tend to stay so busy and distracted in our day that when we take that moment to pause, we might remember or think of something that... Um, that we just haven't given ourselves the time or space to in a while. And so that's very normal as well. Love that. I sometimes, if I'm really going through a period where um, I just am balancing a lot, I sometimes just keep a notebook next to me. And I like, it's like, I let myself open my eyes, jot it down. And then it, it somehow like calms me and it's easier to go back to meditating because otherwise I'm like, oh, right. I totally forgot that. I don't want to forget it. And it distracts me. So that's something that I sometimes do. Um, I love that because it's, you're giving a space for that thought, right? Mm-hmm. By putting it down on paper, you're taking it out of your head and just putting it in a different space. Yeah. And that seems to like settle me so that I can go back to what I'm trying to do. I wonder if you mentioned the recovery from um, perfectionism and I love um, something that you wrote on your website and it's simple, but it says how you talk to yourself matters. Your thoughts matter your mindset matters. And so can you talk? I think a lot of, I just think a lot of women in general are um, really hard on themselves and, and expect like perfection from themselves when they can have tons of compassion to their friends and their children and the world. Um, So I really think I love that. Like how you talk to yourself matters. Can you just expand on that a little? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, this is so important. <laughs> and it's a journey that I personally have been on for a long time. And, you know, I say also that the most important relationship in our lives is the relationship that we have with ourselves. Everything else in our life truly is a reflection of that. And that's part of why my company is called Radiant Living Institute, a radiant life truly begins from within and cultivating that relationship that we have with ourselves. Because so often in life, it can, it can feel easier to turn towards everything outside of ourselves, to look for answers, to look for quick fixes. And so I'm certainly not saying that this is the easy work, but I am saying that it is the worthwhile work. Um, And it's really been for me on my journey, these meditative practices, these practices in 
yoga. And when I talk about yoga, yes, I talk about the physical postures. I also talk about the meditative aspect of it, that it brings a stillness. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily have to be yoga for, for everyone, but whatever it is, whatever sort of practice it is for you that can help you find that pause and find that stillness. And I'll share what that did for me is it helped me become aware of those thoughts going on in my head, right? Aware of my inner dialogue. And that was really the first step for me, right? And I think for any of us is just being aware of what our inner dialogue is. Because there's always thoughts going on, right? There's always this inner dialogue going on. And sometimes we're just not even aware of of it, of what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves. And I don't know why, but for some reason, it always is easier to practice compassion towards others than towards ourselves. I don't know why that is, um, but but it often is the case. But the first step is just being aware of those thoughts, right? And just noticing what thoughts are coming up. And then the next step from there is when you notice harsh or self-critical or self-judgmental thoughts. Not adding fuel to the fire, first of all, by then judging yourself for having those thoughts, mm-hmm. just noticing that it's there and replacing it with a positive thought or an affirmation is another way, right? And the easiest way to think of that is whatever that negative thought is that's coming to your mind, think about what's the opposite of that. So how can I make the opposite of that? to make it into a positive statement. Even if you don't completely believe it, mm-hmm. that this becomes a practice. Um, and one of the things that has really stuck with me with yoga philosophy of studying the yoga philosophy is it really is talked about as a practice. And so I see all of these tools and modalities that I speak about as a practice. And I'll tell you, this is the practice and a journey that I personally have been on for quite a while now as well of noticing my thoughts, replacing. And in yoga, there's actually a phrase in Sanskrit called pratipaksha bhavana. And what that says is when a negative thought arises in the mind, immediately replace it with a positive one. And this is something that's talked about a lot in modern science and positive psychology as well. And so, and what it is, I also want to clarify here. It's not a form of, you know, a few years ago, this phrase became very popular of toxic positivity. It's not that, okay. It's not discounting what you may be feeling, right? If you're feeling a quote unquote negative emotion, or if you're going through a difficult situation, it's not discounting that. It's acknowledging that it's saying, okay, that exists. I'm not going to judge that, but I know that I feel better if I don't go down that downward negative spiral. So I'm going to intercept that with a positive thought or a positive affirmation. Yeah. And it's a practice and it takes time and it's a journey. Um, But to share, hopefully, hopefully as an inspiration for anyone listening, it's a journey that I've been on for quite a while. And now it's almost second nature to me when a negative thought arises, right? They still come up. They come up at a lot less frequently now than they used to. But when they come up, it's almost just like an instant automatic trigger that the positive affirmation comes up right afterwards. 
And so it is, I share that and I share my own experience just to hopefully serve as an inspiration, as hope (laughs) that it is possible. But it really is just so, so important. Yeah. I mean, I love, um, I follow Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and he has done um, a lot of research on the brain and this idea that, um, and I loved how you point out, it's not toxic positivity. It's instead though, not engaging like worst case scenario <laughs> in every, you know, whatever seems to rise. Like if you're up at night and you start to worry and go down these rabbit holes and what they've shown in their research, like of like 8,500 brain scans is that you're not going to get the answers from that state so that it's, you're not, you know, just by coming into this beautiful state of coherence that I think your practice is helping, you know, choosing a positive thought, choosing to bring a little bit more alignment in your body, your heart and your mind, that from that space, you can problem solve. Like, you know, that in in his studies, 100% of the time, the brain gets less useful when it's spiraling in a negative state. So it's not like suddenly you're going to have the aha, <laughs> the pro, you know, the problem that you've been mulling over is not going to solve itself from that state, but from your state that you're teaching this positive state, um, where you're still eyes are wide open to everything. So you're not, you know, denying the challenging things, but that you'll actually ha- have better access to your own agency from that state. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, And I love too, what you said about, you know, yoga being this at least 5,000 year old science that is practice-based evidence that that was in the teaching from that long ago is really powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's really powerful, you know, to have, you know, like I, I shared that Sanskrit phrase, Pratipaksha Bhavana, and that's from an ancient yogic text over 5,000 years ago. And I mean, you look at positive psychology, neuro-linguistic programming, I mean, they're talking about this now, just in different words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so fascinating when you really dive into, um, yoga text, like, and what you, what you shared about, um, Ayurvedic medicine and the knowledge they can get from their, um, examination of the pulse. Like we think that we're arriving at these new (laughs) insights and really we're just remembering and we're not even close to remembering, um, what was known probably 5,000 years ago. It's humbling. It is. Oh, absolutely. So wonderful. I wonder if you can, um, someone who might be listening, who is piqued in their interest with all that you're saying, but who may have no background in Ayurveda um, and in your steps. um, And we will link all of, you, you know, I know you have great resources on your website and we'll talk about that in a moment, but is there like a is there something like a nugget of wisdom or an offering you can share if someone wanted to start something with a morning routine? Like it's summer um, when I'm recording this, mornings are early, sun comes up. Is there something that um, can be a benefit to someone if they're like, I really, I do want to start a routine. Where do I begin? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share a nugget and a resource. Okay, perfect. (laughs) So a nugget is what I would suggest is start with, think about something that you enjoy or that inspires you and choose that to be your morning routine. Okay. Now, just because I talked about meditation or just because you might read books or see on social media, some sort of ideal morning routine, 
Don't even worry about it. Find something or think about something or remember, I love that word, (laughs) remember something that inspires you or brings you joy and just try to do that at some point in your day. I find mornings to be easiest just because that's before we, that tends to be the part of the day that many of us have the most control over, not all of us. So if you feel like that does not apply to you, that's totally fine. Find a part of the day that does work for you. But I tend to find that to be the easiest uh, for many of us. Um, So that would be the nugget. And then a resource is I have put together a guide. I call it six steps to create your radiant life. And it goes through my six steps and it's actually a workbook. Um, I would, and it's free to download from my website, radiantlivinginstitute.com. And I actually walk you through my six steps and I walk you through a bit of this kind of taking inventory and answering questions and coming up with your own routine um, that's unique and specific to you. So, and it should take you, you know, no more than about 20 to 30 minutes to actually work through all the steps once you download that workbook. So that's a great place to get started. Wonderful. Yeah. It's just so nice to give people just some practical tips, right? Because we can talk about um, theoretical, but it's really nice when we can bring it into our lives and into our into our days. So Absolutely. Because that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> wait, I mean, because we want we want this work to impact us. And I think when it does, then it impacts our ability to show up and serve in the world with a, with an open and whole heart, which is kind of bringing it back full circle. Why, why I, I talk to amazing people like you, because I think, you know, when we're tapped out, um, burned out, or we cannot pour from an empty cup. And so I love that the work you're doing in the world really seems to be helping people fill their cup. And just by doing that, we can find our own purpose, our passion and our, our way, our unique way of serving in the world. Absolutely. And you know, what's so beautiful, like a really beautiful, positive side effect of that is that it also has this ripple effect so that when you are taking care of yourself, when you are doing these practices for yourself, the people around you notice and that energy also expands to them. Um, And so without even saying or doing anything other than taking care of yourself that also inspires others to do the same, inspires your loved ones to do the same and the people around you. So it's just this beautiful, positive side effect, ripple effect of this whole journey. Really beautiful. Um, Dr. Sheetal Ajmani, I want to say thank you. I know um, you have a beautiful website with that free offering as well as um, a multitude of ways to work with you. I'm sure that you have your message and you've resonated with people listening today. And so I'll make sure and link all of those resources so people can find you and work with you. And it's lovely. We live in an age where you don't have to live down the street from someone to work with them, that you can work with people virtually, which I know that you do. Absolutely. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you.